Welcome to another episode of Vossa, celebrating creators, thinkers, and changemakers from across the Pacific, exploring what makes us tick, what motivates us, and what the future looks like in the communities and region we call home. Thanks to the World Bank in the Pacific and PNG for supporting this storytelling platform. This episode, we celebrate International Women's Day. Over the course of season two of this podcast, speaking with our guests, I realized that we all have milestones and achievements that we can celebrate together. And that can help renew our resolve to make the changes we want to see in the world. In particular, as International Women's Day reminds us, changes towards a just, gender-equal world. This episode is about encouraging conversations across generations, across the ocean, across different stages of life and careers. Today, I speak with Ria Moss Christian of the Marshall Islands. Ria is an independent consultant who has recently stepped down as chair of the Marshall Islands National Nuclear Commission. Having worked in fisheries for many years, among her many accomplishments, she is also the first woman to have chaired the Western and Central Pacific Fisheries Commission, the governing body of the world's largest tuna fishery. We are also joined by Vinciella Nen of PNG, who is a consultant with the Center for International Forestry Research, a climate activist who represented her country in recent global youth and climate talks surrounding COP26, and founder of a new initiative connecting children with art and conservation in ocean communities. Vinciella's audio is not the best, but we made the most of our connectivity challenges, all in a day's work in the Pacific. We've come out of 2021 and plunged straight into an eventful 2022. I can only imagine what that must be like for Ria and Vinziella in their contexts, their work and their part of the world. From my perspective, it feels like the year has started and just has not stopped in terms of the many things that have been packed into the first two months alone. So stepping back to look at the past year, besides the pandemic, I asked what some of the year's defining moments or events were for them. That's a really hard question to answer because the pandemic has been so consuming. Um, but at the same time, I guess it hasn't been because technology has allowed us to really continue with our work. And so while in the Pacific, we were lucky to be insulated for quite a long time from having to deal with COVID, at least for me and maybe, you know some, some colleagues I've spoken to, it's allowed us to dive in and maybe not in the healthiest way to work through video conferencing tools um, because it's it, there have been no barriers really. I mean, of course we've missed the human connections which are really important, but I think I've actually been busier. So 2021 was my fourth year with the National Nuclear Commission in the Marshall Islands. And it was eventful for me just because we were, Marshall Islands is in the midst of renegotiating really important economic provisions with the United States under the compact. And a big part of that discussion is the nuclear legacy. And for listeners who might not be real familiar, I can sort of give you a quick abbreviated version of what that looks like for us in the Marshall Islands. Um, And following the US nuclear testing program in the 1940s and 50s in the Marshall Islands, we're still experiencing high rates of cancer displacement of communities from their home islands, their ancestral lands, um, and unpaid compensation, compensation awards that were issued by the Nuclear Claims Tribunal. Those are big pieces of the nuclear legacy that we are still grappling with. And so 2021 was, for the Nuclear Commission, and for me personally as the chair, a busy one for us in trying to articulate 
and pull together information to support the Marshall Islands government in discussions with the United States and to really um, to do it in a clear way and in an objective way. Obviously, this is a very emotional issue. If, um, for any Marshallese you speak to, myself included, we have a story that links to this nuclear legacy, whether it's cancer in the family or loss of land or, or something else. So there was a lot of effort last year in education. Education is a real foundational piece of nuclear justice. And we had the opportunity to appear before members of the US Congress in October. And myself personally, I was, I was one of the witnesses to testify to have the attention of members of US Congress on an issue like this, you really cannot underestimate the importance of that opportunity. So for me, and, and that happened at a time that um, pretty close to the end of my time with the commission. For me personally, that was a pivotal moment in the work of the commission to get to have that, that stage or that platform to raise the issues from the perspective of the commission. And of course we joined, for example, the RMI foreign minister and another um, member from the Marshallese community and the Marshallese diaspora in the US. So there was a group and a, a group effort for sure, but just a really important opportunity in that conversation. Like Ria, besides the pandemic, it was still an eventful year for Vinziella. Like for many of us across the Pacific, the impacts of climate change continued she experienced some personal setbacks, but she rallied to finish the year strong. Considering a lot of things, um, the pandemic, then as a climate change advocate, we went through the king tides um, in my country. There were a lot of other things that were happening globally. As well. But apart from the challenges, so I went through some huge changes in my life um, that involved a lot of rejection and basically trying to find my fire again. In terms of my work as an activist, as I became more involved with international organizations um, such as MOCCOP, when the actual COP was deferred um, in 2020, MOCCOP is a youth COP that was created for young people to divide our audience. We still had our COP in a sense where representatives from the different um, 193 states, we came together to sort of give our statements on what we wanted from our government and what we wanted from the global leaders um, in terms of COP. And when COP came about, we were to present our treaty and we did that um, during COP26 in Glasgow last year. Apart from that, I was fortunate enough to be given the opportunity to represent my country um, at the Youth for Climate Driving Ambition. Um, this happened in Milan, in Italy. I was really honored to be part of like um, the guest blog for two different environmental organizations, different interviews, to sort of talk about the work that I do and also to talk about the challenges that young women face as um, advocates in an island nation that's not only one of the 10 um, most vulnerable to the effects of climate change, but also a nation that really believes in its um, patrilineal roots. So women, most of the time, we cannot really go and talk to the community. But slowly and surely, within the last year, we've been trying to change the views of the community to see that there are some women out there who actually know what we're doing and who actually deserve a space at the table. The other thing that was really, really defining for me was 
this dream that I had, I've been part of a lot of youth groups and youth organizations that advocate for climate change and talk to communities about the effects that climate change has on our local communities. And one of the dreams that I had ever since I was a little girl was up by the ocean. So it's a concept of bringing that supplies to the beach. I invited some people via my Facebook um, platform. Uh, when we went to the beach and there were kids there, we invited them to join us. So we had art lessons, not really art lessons. I'm not really an artist. I can't draw but, or paint or anything, but it was just to put out the supplies there for kids to come and express themselves. We had conversations with the children um, who were between the ages of 7 to 10. There were some who joined us that were younger and some who were older as well, but it was to sort of get children more involved in learning about the ocean, about having these conversations, because these conversations are really discussed in the classroom, especially for Papua New Guinea. We don't really discuss these things at that age. So that platform was something that I've always dreamt of, and to actually bring it to life, this was motivating for me as well. So yeah, that's how my year has been so far. With an eventful year behind us, this International Women's Day is a welcome opportunity to celebrate the milestones of the past year, despite its challenges, and also to highlight the barriers that persist in achieving gender equality. I asked Ria and Vinziella about their personal milestones of the past year and what they've learned from them. Oh, I guess um, at, yeah, at a personal level, I last year I started a an online MBA program Um a global MBA with Tufts University. And I was doing that on top of work. And I had a, I also had additional contracts on the side and I have a seven-year-old daughter and I'm a wife. And so there was quite a lot of juggling going on and I became very proficient at juggling and, and managing time. And I am aware enough of, of my personality traits. And I, and I know for myself that I tend to do better when I have a lot going on, but um, it was also quite stressful. And so I started the program in January, not a hundred percent sure that I would stay with it. And I am happy to say that I have finished my first year and I have one more year to go. So that was for me. Um, yeah. A, a, an achievement I'm proud of uh, I haven't achieved the degree yet, but I stuck with it and I and I managed to perform other duties that were really important to me and to deliver on whether it was contracts and expectations on, with clients. And I, yeah, I, I do think though, if I, you know, I'm going to connect this to International Women's Day and in, in women, and I've said this before, I tend to I'm going to generalize here on this point, but I tend to think that women have a special skill for this kind of multitasking just because of all the responsibilities we're called to do. And so when we, when we take on some of these roles, um, for example, when I had the chairmanship for the Western and Central Pacific Fisheries Commission, I thrived off of that pressure to organize and that, um, just that tension of keeping multiple issues at in play or or are just organized and and communicate those clearly to to an audience i I just find that um i'm not going to say natural but something i have worked on for a lot for most of my career but something i really enjoyed and i have found that with a lot of my other 
um, female colleagues, they tend to function similarly. And I, and I wonder if it is because of all of the duties we're called to do. I mean, I have colleagues, a lot of colleagues are mothers as well, mothers and wives. And so there's a lot of juggling with family. And, and I think our mothers, and I'm thinking of my mother now, tend to be the anchors and that hold together, whether it's a family or community, you know, whatever that may, whatever form that may come in, but the mothers or the women tend to be at the foundation of those. Juggling the many demands of work, family, and personal aspirations, for Vin, this was all happening during a time of grief and changes in her family life. For her, it was about stepping beyond the pain of loss to keep progressing towards her goals. So one of the barriers that I, I had uh, was pretty personal. So I lost my dad in 2019. So he was like my greatest mentor. We come from a mining community and everything about the environment that I know everything that I speak about came from him telling us about the importance of the environment and what the potential dangers of what mining could do to the environment and how we have to be aware. So he passed away in 2019. So having to lose my mantle has been, it's, it's something that really extinguished the flame that I had. Come 2020, I went through a breakup with my son's father, which resulted in being a single parent, still am. Um, but coming from a community that is patrilineal, um, even though I was raised in a home where my dad and mom, they sort of enforced the idea that you could be anything you want to be. You could be a leader, whether you're a boy or a girl. The reality is that I came from a community where a lot of people of the communities that I'm around, they believe that um, once you become a mother or once you, become, once you find yourself single again, there are things that you cannot achieve. And for me, that was a huge barrier, just hearing what the opinions that people had to say. It, it made it sort of difficult to sort of step out of the pain of losing people, like back, back one after the other. Um, but I'm really grateful for my support group, um, most especially my mom, who sort of helped me go through all of these things. And my personal milestone, um, would have to be having to achieve all that I have despite everything that has happened. A lot of things came to sort of break me and the work that I do. It almost came to break my spirit, I should say, but having a good support group, a tribe of not just women, but also men who believe in you. So I have my brother, my best friends, most of my best friends are guys, but they helped me sort of get through it. On that note, having to travel to this prestigious um, conferences, being able to share the voices of not only women in my country and young people in my country, but also from the Pacific in general. It was really good to sort of highlight that. And for me, it's a, it's a milestone, not only for me, but also for the region. I felt that there was a whole lot more representation from the Pacific Islands um, during the COP. So for me, that was one of the highlights of my year. That really resonated with me. Working with women as colleagues, having the good fortune of having women managers, women mentors in my life, it never fails to blow me away how much women can do, all the different identities that we bring, and all the different currents that we swim through. 
As both our guests acknowledge, it's difficult and gender inequality can magnify these challenges. There are definitely things that need to change. Now to the future, with more work to be done, more goals and dreams to pursue, I asked Ria and Vinziella what they see as some of their big challenges coming up this year. Starting with personally, I want to finish this MBA program, and I and I feel confident that I'm on track to do that. I've passed the point of any returns. So, yeah, so beyond that, um, since I've stepped down from the Nuclear Commission in the Marshall Islands, I was appointed as the RMI Honorary Consul to FSM, and I'm independent independently consulting on fisheries issues. So fisheries is sort of, those are my roots and my career. So I'm, I'm getting back into that. So I'll be focusing on that work this year. And then going up beyond myself and, you know, what my personal goals are and thinking about, I'm going to limit this to the North Pacific and the compact countries and what we're facing in our renegotiations with the United States right now on our economic provisions, RMI, FSM, and Palau. And those provisions expire in 2023, in September 2023. And I, you know, to to really appreciate what that means, if those, if any parts of those provisions were not renewed, they would have huge, huge grave impact on our economies and our societies. It's important to just be mindful or aware that there are a lot of events that are far away, happening far away and largely out of our control, but they will have ripple effect on us. And so how do we prepare for that at a very local level? And what is the role that women can play in that, whether it's, you know, sustaining families or or subsistence businesses, um, agriculture, fisheries, whatever it is, but what are the different roles that women and others have in responding to those effects. And we can't ignore the pandemic and what's happening. We're in year three and many parts of the world are are now accepting or declaring that they've peaked and they're opening up and we're going back to business as usual or normal, whatever that new normal looks like. Well, some of us in the Pacific have not yet experienced COVID. That's an everyone problem. You know, that's not a gender specific issue, but I think that's really a big question for leaders now is, are we prepared? How do we get prepared? What does our response look like? We have to open up at some point. And we know know that the pandemic closures are disproportionately affecting women. And so we have to, we have to think about continuation of this current situation and what the long-term effects are. For one, we have a pandemic that not only restricts uh, travel internationally, but also, most importantly, domestic travel as well. And that's a huge challenge for me because right now um, I'm at this point in my life where I feel that I have to give back to my own village. I have to give back to my people in terms of advocacy and in terms of education and the environment. I believe a part of the reason as to why I kept away is because, as I mentioned, I come from a very strong uh, patrilineal background where local communities do not believe that women have a say. So that's another challenge, trying to make it to my village all the time to sort of talk to my people, to talk to them about on how we can work towards combating climate change through sustainable methods, um, such as agriculture, even how we look after our water bodies, and to sort of 
help us understand more because I have a personal belief or it is a cultural belief that everything is connected. The ocean is connected to the river body, is connected to the land, connected to everything. So I really want to get back to my village to sort of understand from the elders how my ancestors did things in the past. Apart from that, I have a very demanding job, so it will be a bit difficult trying to juggle that, but that is something that I hope to work around and to sort of find find that gap or find that um, flexibility to do that. And um, I decided to go back to school, which is another challenge for me and another task on my plate to um, sort of try and get over to also juggle community work, also um, juggle my son as well and everything else. But I know that what doesn't kill you makes you stronger and it should be okay. With both of our guests being trailblazers in their own way, we are still living in an era of firsts when it comes to women in positions of leadership or in professions that are traditionally male-dominated. There are many amazing developments that it's so easy to take them for granted. I couldn't pass up the opportunity to ask Rhea about becoming the first woman to chair the Western and Central Pacific Fisheries Commission and how that came about for her. Yeah, I was chairing actually the Western Central Pacific Fisheries Commission's Technical and Compliance Committee first. And, you know, I think probably not alone in in describing this experience. You get into a job and you feel pretty good about what you're doing, but you're not entirely confident yet. There's too much, there's so much self-doubt and it's so hard to, to deal with that. And it really helps when you have people who mentor and support you and help you build your confidence. Um, And that's what helped me. I had amazing colleagues and friends who helped me to see the contributions that I could make. And so really all it took on my side was a willingness to take the challenge. And and I, I took the leap and it took me up to the chair, the role of chair of the commission. And I, I would be lying if I said that I went through that four-year experience without ever doubting myself or feeling like I was failing many times. I think that's part of what makes you better, though. You have to keep challenging yourself. And I I was deliberate about consulting with a lot of people to get feedback and willing to take feedback and asking for feedback because I knew that that was the only way I was going to be able to grow and to, and to see where I could improve. Um, And I mean, I loved every minute of that experience. And I, and I knew that that was an opportunity that was going to, that was rare. Like I, that was a rare one. And to get that opportunity, I was not going to mess it up. I was not, I was going to do whatever it took, whatever I needed to do to not mess that up. I mean, that's that's as simply and plainly as I can put it because I understood what it meant for me at a personal level and a professional level. And I also had this strong feeling of not wanting to let anyone down. I mean, I was a young woman. I think I was, I was a younger woman. I was um, maybe in my late thirties at that point. Now I can't remember. Yeah, I was in my late thirties or I just turned 40, I think. And um. And I knew I was an underdog. I knew that others thought, oh, can she do that? That's okay with me. I don't mind that at all. I think that that motivated me. And um, if I surprise people, 
then I'm happy. I'm happy to do that. So, you know, you're right. There's, this has been a, a time of firsts. We had our first woman president in the Marshall Islands too. And now we've got the PM in Samoa and, you know, we've had PM Ardern in New Zealand. But she's not the first, but anyway, I mean, it, it's, is it a, a sign of things to come? Maybe, maybe not. I mean, I also believe that gender shouldn't be the main reason that takes you forward. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of grit in these women and a lot of talent there. And I don't want to overlook that. Um, and so there's a, there's a combination. I think there, we celebrate all of that um, in that achievement. So, yeah. And uh, if while we're on the topic of first, so I, I am actually, I'm going to be putting in a bid for executive director of the Western and Central Pacific Fisheries Commission, which is opening up. The appointment is at the end of the year. And so I'm putting all my energy into that. And, you know, if I'm successful, I'll be the first woman to hold that post too. But I am, I, I sit in a pool of very strong women in fisheries in this region, and I have no illusions about that. And um, many of them are, incredible leaders and leaders that I look up to. And so I, I hope to join that, that pool of strong leaders who also happen to be women. <laughs> Speaking of women and cultivating a tribe or a support system of people who believe in you and support you, Rhea mentions an earlier voice on Vossa from our Ocean Voices episode and speaks of how their mentorship has had an unforgettable impact in her life. I think to the point about mentors, yeah, I mean, I started in fisheries and I was 22 years old and I was just naive and green, <laughs> just really so new. <laughs> and I and it was a time when there were very few women in fisheries in the region. And I was so fortunate that those few women that were there were willing to support me and willing to take me under their wing. And one of those was your guest on your last pod, podcast, Masio from PNG and she was wonderful. And I will never forget, um, and I will always feel grateful for the mentorship that she gave me when I started at a very young age. And so I keep that at the front of my mind and try to pay that forward wherever I can. You know, if, if someone's looking for an opportunity or needs some help or needs mentorship, I wanna be able to help, I wanna be there. Um, just wait. sometimes you just need a sympathetic ear or someone to help you feel that you're that you're you belong there that you're okay you're still learning and you will keep learning and you've got support along the way that's one thing my mom taught me you just put your what you want out there and you focus on it and it's kind of the way she lived her life um, she just yeah my late mother she's passed on but um she just was very, she was a strong believer in positive thinking as a, as a way to keep you focused and to help you realize your goals. So I take that with me. I'm so glad I got to speak with Rhea and Vinziella, and there are so many gems from our conversation that I'll be keeping with me. It is easy to dismiss it or take it for granted, but it is so valuable for young girls, young women to look to examples like theirs and know that their aspirations are possible too. I certainly feel that way after our conversation. It was enlightening to learn of the negotiations for economic provisions underway as described by Rhea during her time as chair of the Marshall Islands National Nuclear Commission. 
Her acknowledgement of key mentors in her life made me think of all the people who have been there for me. I also loved her example of walking forward into a challenge and being committed to consult and be open to feedback as a leader. Just as Rhea relished the opportunity to surprise those who may have seen her as the underdog, I wish the same for us all this coming year, to be motivated by what we can do in our lives and together for a gender-equal world. While Vinziella's year may have begun on a challenging note, in which she overcame her grief to take on new obstacles, achieving things she never thought possible while contributing to a movement she believes in, and to launch a project of her own, I'm sure we can think of many of those special humans in our lives, and importantly, to reflect on how we can pay that forward, all towards a fairer world that doesn't pigeonhole women, but that hears and values them fully. Thanks for joining us for another episode of VOSA, supported by the World Bank in the Pacific and PNG. For years, the World Bank in the Pacific has marked International Women's Day by spotlighting inspiring Pacific women making a difference in their countries and across the region. The World Bank will be marking 2022's International Women's Day in a similar way, and you can visit World Bank Pacific's Facebook page to see profiles of proud Pacific women sharing their stories. If you like what you've heard, Follow us on social media for more amazing Pacific stories and storytellers. Share the VOSA podcast with your community and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. We're always so encouraged by the contributions of VOSA's listeners and listening to you also makes us better. Until next time, stay safe and take care. <laughs>